Father, we thank you for this passage that is set before us this morning. We thank you for this word. Uh, Lord, do what you do through your word and minister it to our hearts. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we had a wedding at the church yesterday, and it was a lovely affair. And from the flowers to the greenery to the beautiful dresses to the tuxedos that were worn to the parking that was done outside to the, the things that went into preparing the program to the timing of releasing the brides to the music that was prepared and each piece of music who would come down and come to the front at which point to the service as a whole. All of it, all of it was carefully planned. Everything was arranged. We practiced, we rehearsed, and God blessed. Now, you know this, right? When arrangements go poorly, you realize it. You say, somebody dropped the ball on something, and that went poorly. However, when arrangements go well and planning goes well, it looks like it just happened. Unless you know, unless you call to mind weddings that you've been a part of and realize that, boy, behind the scenes, a lot of work went in to make these, whatever they were, 25 minutes maybe? I don't know, 20, maybe 30 minutes of the service itself and then the reception afterwards to go the way they went. Our passage today has two main characters in it, right? There's only two people that are basically involved in this story. You have Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. But Luke, as much as he would like us to look and appreciate what's going on with Philip and what's going on with the Ethiopian eunuch, draws particular attention to how these two come together, to the arrangements that make this conversation, this coming together, actually possible. And if you'll allow me just to extend the metaphor for just a moment, what Luke allows us to see in this passage is the wedding planner, the florist getting the flowers together, the pastor preparing the service, the, the people who worked on dresses. Luke allows us to see beyond the story himself, a story which could have been told very simply. You know, Philip was on the road in the desert, and he came across a man who was riding in a chariot, and he approached the man. You could have told the story exactly like that, but that's not the way that it is told. Philip wants us, I mean, pardon me, Luke wants us to see God himself sending his spirit, sending his angel, arranging, preparing hearts, plans, circumstances, passages of scripture that were being read. I'm sorry, Ingrid's not here today. There's an architectural style, industrial chic, you know that architectural style? It's a style of architecture whereby you don't cover up the bones of the building, if you will. You want to see the, 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 the beams that are in the building. You want to see the piping that goes through. You want to see the brickwork. You want to see the ductwork. So it's, it's nice, but somehow everything's exposed. Nothing is covered up so that you see how this building was made and how it works. Luke wants us to see, indeed, Philip and the eunuch. But in so seeing, what he wants to expose for us is the industry behind it. See the Lord Jesus at work 
through his church, through his spirit, by the word being explained, see Jesus working here is what Luke does as he tells us this particular story. Now, I'm tempted in a passage like this. This passage outlines very easily. You can imagine as a preacher, you're thinking of different ways. How can you present a passage? It outlines easily. I could do it for you by outline, and I could easily give you three points. I chose not to do it because I think the impact of this story is more found in the story as a whole rather than me breaking it up into pieces. And so what I'd like to do for the next few minutes is I'd like to just walk us through, work us through this story, walk along as it actually takes place. That's where we're going to do it. Keep your bulletins open. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. We can see immediately that this is a God-directed mission. And if we cared to, we could look throughout the Old Testament and see countless examples of other situations that were very much like this, where God is moving people into the exact position where he wants them to be. Amongst the many that we might choose, it is very Elijah-like. And I mention that because I've mentioned Elijah several times now as we've been working through Acts much in the way that we see God moving Elijah around to certain places and certain people at a certain time, even unexpected ones. So we see God now taking Philip and moving him to this particular place. We should also keep in mind that Philip is being sent from a place which, while he didn't expect to go to Samaria, that wasn't his destination. Remember, it was a part of the persecution. That was how he ended up preaching in Samaria. It was nevertheless fruitful. However much time he had spent there, he had seen many people come to know the Lord. And so you would think if you were being fruitful at a particular place in a particular time, that God would have you stay there. And yet God takes Philip and says, I want to move you out of this place of fruitfulness and take you to a desert road. Now, Philip surely wondered a desert road? You know, not a lot happens along a desert road. One does not look naturally for fruit in the desert. A desert is barren. Except we read this little verse in Isaiah 40 last week. It said, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Verse 27, and he arose and went. Here's a man who, like so many before him, responded faithfully to the God who has called him. I will go, said Rebecca in the book of Genesis. Where you go, I will go, says a widowed Ruth. Speak, for your servant hears, says a young Samuel. Here am I, send me, says Isaiah. And so Philip goes to the desert. How do you respond to the promptings of God in your life? Verse 27, continuing. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem 
to worship. Ethiopia is not uh, the Ethiopia that we think of, but rather slightly west of Ethiopia, as it's referred to here. This is a kingdom that was south of Egypt, biblically speaking, and especially in the context of the Old Testament. It is referred to as Cush. And I say that in particular because on the front of your bulletin, if you read that in preparation, you will see that God has a plan for people from Cush to draw them to himself. The ends of the earth, that's what Cush was sometimes referred to as. And we see that this person traveling along the road is a prominent official in the court of the queen. That name is a regal name, so apparently belonged to many. Candace, that is. So he's a significant official. He is called an Ethiopian. But we do not know if that means he was ethnically an Ethiopian or if he was part of the Jewish diaspora, not the one that happened at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, but one that may have happened hundreds of years ago back in the course of history at some point who found his way perhaps through slavery, perhaps through something else down in Cush where he rose to a place of serving in a court as a diaspora Jew. That story sounds familiar to us. In any case, we don't know. He could have been a mix of those things. In any case, he could have been called Ethiopian. My tendency is to see him as part of a Jewish diaspora who was there and probably was of mixed descent. What we know is that he was at least faithful enough so that he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Perhaps he had some other business there, but in any case, he had made a long trip to go and worship God. But the aspect of his personhood to which Luke points us, focuses our attention, is that he was, in fact, a eunuch. We don't know his name, but in verses 34, verse 36, verse 38, verse 39, he is not referred to as the man who was on the road. He's not referred to as the Ethiopian. He's not called the treasurer. Instead, he is referred to every time as the eunuch. Now, that might seem a a bit of an odd designation. Of all the things you could have called him, you're the eunuch. That's how you're going to be known throughout the rest of history. This is who you are. And and in our culture, that would certainly be off-color. You're going to choose this part of his sexual identity and label him that way? Throughout Scripture, he's the eunuch? It seems inappropriate to us. Why the eunuch? Well, because being a eunuch means something. And every Jew would have understood something about eunuchs. And if they knew very little about being a eunuch, one of the things that all Jews knew about eunuchs is that eunuchs were cut off. Deuteronomy 23, verse 1. Sorry, this is a bit graphic. It is the word. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. You can't come in. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. I don't care whether you're a God-fearer, whether you're a diaspora Jew, You don't come in. 
you are cut off. Desert places are unfaithful, um, excuse me, unfruitful. Eunuchs are the very definition of unfruitful. Verse 28. And he was returning seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, the, the, the Greek reading of this as well as the English reading is kind of like, lo and behold, lo and behold, there he is. Who knew? Driving down the road in the desert would be this guy. And as he's driving along in his chariot, he just happens to be reading from Isaiah. The picture here that is being drawn by Luke is of a seed that is planted in the desert. A seed is planted in a eunuch, the Word of God. Watch. Watch what happens to this planted Word. This man in his wealth and in his faith has somehow a copy of the scroll of Isaiah and is reading it as he goes along. Verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. So the angel, uh, an angel of the Lord, spoke to Philip earlier. Now the Spirit of the Lord is communicating directly to Philip, saying, that's the one. Now, I don't know how many chariots pass by on the road. I don't know how many people Philip stopped to ask. All we know is that the Spirit of, the, of God indicates that's the one. That's where I want you to go. And so Philip, and let's appreciate it, surely bewildered. Surely wondering, okay, really, you want me to run up beside this chariot and talk to this person? At a minimum, at a minimum, I don't care what age, what culture you live in, this is obviously going to be an awkward situation. Philip's going to start running, chariot's moving along the road, and he begins a conversation as he's trotting alongside this chariot. It, it's awkward. It could be dangerous as well. He runs to meet him, verse 30. Uh, continuing in the middle of it, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked as he's jogging along, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Reading aloud was a custom. And this exchange between the two of them takes place. Do you understand it? How can I? unless somebody ex explains it. Well, the Word of God is powerful. We talk about it often, even in the call to worship this morning. You've exalted above all things your name and your Word. We talk about the Word of God being God-breathed. We talk about it being living and active. But the reality is, is that God usually does not have His Word act alone in bringing salvation. Instead, typically speaking, the Word is confusing. Now, I'll bet when I was reading that Isaiah passage earlier, some of it you got and went, okay, I understand that. And I'll bet that some other parts of it you went, huh? What, what exactly did that mean at that particular point? The Word of God is confusing by itself until it is, and let me just borrow this word, until it is activated by someone who explains it to us. God's Spirit is behind this whole thing, surely, obviously. That's, that's the one who's truly working here. But comprehension of Scripture, comprehension of the good news of Jesus Christ, 
is biblically attached to a faithful explanation of the Word. It's not happening by itself. It doesn't go on on its own. Verses 32 through 35. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. What is Philip doing? Who is Philip imitating? Well, he sounds a lot like Stephen. He sounds a lot like Peter. But what he really sounds a lot like is Jesus. You see, there's this little story that with which Luke concluded the gospel that he had written, the first part of this book, in which Jesus goes out and meets two men who are on a road and they can't figure things out. They're depressed. They're discouraged. We thought he was the one. He comes up beside them and he begins to explain to them all the things in Scripture about himself how he had to suffer. Philip sounds a lot like that. He sounds a lot like Jesus in the upper room doing then the same thing with the disciples themselves and explaining to them how all of the scriptures find their fulfillment in him, his life, and what he did. And so Philip explains Jesus. And Oh, what a passage that this fellow just happens to be reading as he's going on along the road. He happens to be reading Isaiah 53. And of all the passages that someone might be reading that you might like to say, can I please explain that to you? Probably at the top of the list would be Isaiah chapter 53. Let me explain to you what is taking place here. Talk about arrangements that are going on. A eunuch, a eunuch who is cut off from others in the faith since he lives at the edge of the earth. Unable to worship in the temple he'd traveled so far to see since he was a eunuch. Couldn't go in. He reads of a man who was slaughtered, who was humiliated who was denied justice and who was ultimately killed. He reads of a man who was cut off from the land of the living. And he wonders, is is that, is he talking about himself, the prophet here, or is he talking about someone else? Because, and I'm inferring at this point, because that sounds a lot like me. I've been cut off. I've been cut off in all sorts of ways. I'm excluded, unfruitful, I'm alone, I'm isolated. What symbolizes unfruitfulness in Scripture? Barren women. Hannah, Rebecca, Rachel, older women, past the age of childbearing, 
Sarah and Elizabeth. Deserts are unfruitful. Eunuchs are unfruitful. Dead people, cut-off people are unfruitful. All of them are biblical symbols of the pain and suffering and anguish and unfruitfulness that is in the world in its natural state because of the sin that we brought into the world. Death is at work. It was created to be fruit-bearing, to be reproductive in every aspect. And yet, in sin, the world struggles with unfruitfulness. Philip might have said, can we read a little bit further? Let's just unroll a little bit more of the scroll and keep reading here. Because yes, this passage that you are reading does have something to say to you, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But in the first place, it talks to you about someone who took all of the guilt and all of the punishment for the sin which we have created, for the unfruitfulness which is the result of our sin. And he took all of the punishment for that and he took it upon himself with the result that, Mr. Eunuch, listen carefully, with the result that, in two more verses, in verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 53, he shall see his offspring and prolong his days. You mean the, the cut-off one, the killed one? How does a dead one see his offspring? Verse 11, he shall make many to be accounted righteous. Verse 12, therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. And so the eunuch might respond to that by saying, wait, 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 wait. Wait, how did this one who was cut off, who was killed, how does he get to see his offspring? He sees offspring? Yes, yes, says Philip. And there's more. And there's more because Isaiah 54 follows after Isaiah 53. And it doesn't just apply to this one, but it applies to others. So listen. Sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. First verse, Isaiah 54, barren ones will bear. Eunuch, so you're saying that a barren, desolate woman will become fruitful. Philip, yes, and there's more. Because Isaiah 55 continues like this. A seed is planted. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. So the instrument of fruitfulness has become the word of God, the seed that is buried? Yes, Mr. Eunuch. And there's more. Because after Isaiah 54 and after Isaiah 55 comes Isaiah 56. Now, Mr. Eunuch, listen carefully. 
Verse 3, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, excuse me, say the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters, and I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Wait, is that me? Are you talking to me? Are you saying to me, I'm leaving Jerusalem, I couldn't even get in the temple. Are you saying to me that I've got an inheritance? I've got a place to be in this new temple that's being formed, Mr. Eunuch. Jesus was cut off so that you could come in. Continuing in Isaiah 56. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Fruitfulness in the kingdom of Jesus has become a much larger tent and a much broader concept. And so whether you are single or sick or widowed or older or struggling with having children or a man who finds himself sterile or if you're a eunuch or if you're a young virgin who lives in a town called Nazareth from which nothing good can come. Jesus, Jesus takes people who think God could never use me, could never be fruitful through me. And he says, no, I can and I will. I will gather you up to me and I will gather you together with the rest of God's people. And I will take you, you unfruitful barren eunuch, and from you I will bring forth fruit. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Lo, and behold, there's some water in the desert, and fruit comes forth, the fruit of faith. A root out of dry ground. That's where Isaiah 53 started. Wondrously arranged. God plants things 
where humanly speaking you go, that's the worst place to plant that particular thing. And in that place, God causes it to sprout up, to grow. Come to Jesus. Repent. Believe. Be baptized. And rejoice. God still works in hurting human hearts, preparing them for the word explained. God still, if less explicitly, has his people in the right place at the right time and bids us open up your mouth and speak. God still arranges for fruitfulness and rejoicing where we least expect it. Whether from a eunuch on his way back to Sudan, or you, or the people around you in the suburbs of Northwest Philly. I'm going to tell you a story. You're going to think I made it up. So I'm sitting at Panera, and I'm at my little favorite booth, rocky table and all, and I'm writing this sermon. And a woman comes up to me. And she says, you've got to talk to the people at the booth right behind you because they're studying Genesis. Blockhead that I am. I said to her, no, I can't. I'm working on this sermon. I've got to finish this sermon. I have a wedding this week, and I've got a million things going on. I have to finish this sermon. I can't talk to them. So, uh, so I keep writing away, and I finish the sermon, and, and you know, the Spirit of God is going, anybody home? Anybody paying attention to what you are writing right now? And so I get up, and I, I finish, and I wait. Somebody was talking to him. I wait, and I begin to talk to do, two Jewish women who have their Bibles open and are studying the book of Genesis. And we talk about light coming into the world. Now, it, it doesn't finish like this story, okay? I'm sorry, it, do, it doesn't quite go to this stage. But there it was. In White Marsh, not in the road to Gaza, White Marsh, a couple of people sitting there with a pastor, somebody who walks up, who happens to know I'm a pastor, happens to know them. You guys need to talk. God still arranges things. Now, this does not mean that you are biblically compelled to accost every person that you sit next to on an airplane and tell them the gospel. That is not what this means. This is a particular story. However, it means you ought to be open to the possibility. There might be something, there might be some way in which you can speak to that person in which this is the God-arranged, God-appointed time for this conversation to take place. And so we ought to be open to that Think for a moment or think this afternoon on the arrangements that God did in your life so that you're here today, so that you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, arranged before you could even think of what that meant. All praise and glory to the sovereign arranger, the Lord Jesus, who gathers his sheep and builds his church. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray.